Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. I'm talking sports with my older brother, Chris. We have to talk about the NBA playoffs, but I really don't want to, Chris. It's just been a rough night for, I think, both of us. Yeah, it's been a very rough night, and it stinks because it's about, what, 26 years and one day after the shot that the bank went in, which I'm hesitant to give that one a the before it because, you know, on most other sports cities, that one would rise to like a top 20 or maybe even top 10 letdown. But in Cleveland, that doesn't even crack the top 50. That's just the way it is in this city. So yeah, I'm not giving it a the before it just yet, but it certainly stings. Yeah, I think history will determine how important that shot was going in going forward you know the shot was a a series clincher for Jordan this was just a, a game three so if say the Cavs lose this series and it ruins the Cavs franchise title hopes in the future then yeah I think we're going to look back at this moment with a lot of regret but if the Cavs win the series it's going to be a buzzer beater a great shot right and the more impressive thing about Jordan's shot the shot was it came on the road I mean, I think that's far more impressive in an elimination game. It actually was the knockout punch. This was just, as I said on Facebook, a strong right hook that the Cavs can still rebound from. I'm still not worried about the Cavs. I don't think they played their best basketball last night, and they still had a chance to win just like in Game 1. I think the Cavs, in the two games they've lost, have beaten themselves. And I don't want to sound like an arrogant Cavs fan here, but they really could be up 3-0 in this series. I, I, I... I think that they could have won both the games they lost. I don't think Chicago played well in Game 3, but I don't think Cleveland played well either. Um, If we're just going to jump right into the NBA playoffs and and talking about these, uh, seems like the common theme is injuries. Cavs have a possibly even bigger issue on their hands if Kyrie Irving's foot prevents him from playing in any games. He played through it, but in Game 3, he did not look very effective no, I, I I totally agree. I mean, Kevin Love obviously is, is done for the whole playoffs, so that definitely hurt them, especially for game one, getting a rotation and getting a feel back, missing your third best player. That clearly hurt them in, in that first game. Now you got injuries to Amon Shumpert and Kyrie Irving. They're not, they're not game-ending injuries, but they're hobbled, and they need all the firepower they can get especially on the perimeter when you're looking at Rose and Butler on the other end, a revived Derrick Rose who's playing out out of his mind. But, man, I it was just um, – Cleveland did not shoot well. I mean, only two guys took more than 10 shots last night, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. LeBron was 8 for 25, and Kyrie was 3 for 13. Excuse me. That's just, that's just not good, and that, you're not going to win with those kind of numbers – LeBron can't shoot a jump shot right now. One for seven behind the three-point line with seven turnovers. I mean, that that's the game right there, and that was the story of game one as well. LeBron, uh, he, he's really frustrating at this moment. He's the best player in the game when it seems to be easy for him, but when you need him the most in these tight games, he's he seems to be letting you down, and I I don't have faith in this Cavs team. I'm actually, 
I'm changing my pick, man. I I don't think the Cavs are going to win another game in this series. Don't do that. Let's just calm down real quick here. First off, yes, LeBron has been a little disappointing. There's no doubt about it. But they're putting a lot of expectations on the guy. First, let's just say that credit to Derrick Rose for hitting his shot. That shot is the shot you want him to take with three seconds left. He was probably three to four feet off the three-point line, and he had to bank it in. And Derrick Rose is not a strong outside shot. Secondly, I don't think the Cavs are that far off. I just think they had a bad game. Obviously, there's improvement. Obviously, the turnovers need to clean up. Obviously, you need to be more efficient. But at the same time, I'm not going to go to the extreme of that they're in serious trouble unless they lose game four. If they go down 3-1, that's going to be a significant problem. But I think they can bounce back, clean some things up. If they play better, they'll beat this team. The the, the only thing stopping Cleveland is themselves. I don't think the Bulls... I totally agree. And, and Joakim Noah is not playing well. Pau Gasol was a non-factor. The guy who killed him was Taj Gibson, actually. He would have been my MVP. He turned into kind of the Tristan Thompson of the Bulls. And you notice Thibodeau in the fourth quarter played him more than he did Gasol and Noah. And he kept Marichick on the floor a lot, which shocked me in games one and two that Marichick didn't get more minutes. I thought that was a big advantage for them, him coming off the bench. So I thought they did us a favor by not playing him more. Look, it's obviously a bad spot to be in. Just coming off an agonizing loss like that, a very gritty game, a chippy game. You wanted to win it because if you win a chippy game like that in Chicago, it can send a knife through them and really you know, put an exclamation point on this series. But at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. I'm not going to go to the extreme that they're not going to win another game in this series. I actually think they're going to bounce back and still win this series. My my original Cavs and five prediction is obviously not going to happen, but I think they can win the next three. I, I mean, I agree with you. They certainly can. It's just, I think LeBron is so far up his head at this moment. He's so self-aware of what he has to do that it's just going to doom him to failure. And you compound that with the the foot injury to Kyrie. I don't see, I definitely don't see this team winning tomorrow. And if they don't win tomorrow, you're down three one. I mean, I I think the team's gonna throw in the towel for the for game six. So I, I or game five, excuse me. I I just don't see it, man. I I I don't see it with this team. No, I, I actually think there's no way they don't lose tomorrow in in the sense that I think they're definitely going to win tomorrow. I think that this Cavs team is going to come back and play on fire like they did in game two. And, and hopefully the the awakening will last through the rest of the series, but you got to also give credit to the bulls for playing for, for winning the game. I mean, you can't just overlook the fact that they did what they needed to do to win the game at home. I think the Cavs are going to win game four. I'm not running this team off yet. You still have LeBron James he is capable of destroying this team. Obviously, if Kyrie Irving is seriously hurt, that's going to put a damper on things. But I think the Cavs are good enough to get by the Bulls. I think they win to I think they win game four. No problem. I'm I'm not saying I'm not gonna watch. I'm not gonna cheer for my team, but I, I'm just setting myself up for the for the reality of the situation. And just one more thing. I mean, I I totally agree with you. That three point shot was the only three point shot that Derrick Rose made. But he also scored 27 other points. You, you know, you, it wasn't that 
three-point shot that that killed the Cavs it was the whole rest of the game where they had chance upon chance to take a lead to put this team away and they just didn't let it happen right I mean I'm not saying that they didn't have chances you always have chances when you only lose by three points on a last second shot I'm just saying that I don't think that they're to the point of definitely going to lose this series based on that game if they had lost by 25 points I'd be freaking out right now they only lost by three and it was a bank shot when they didn't play their best basketball so there's a lot of room for improvement on this Cavs team, and they showed that they can turn it around. The Bulls are going to get more and more wear down. The fact that this series is every other day until Game 7 is not good for Chicago. I think that I think Cleveland's going to win on Sunday, and I, don't, I, I think it's going to go 2-2, and I think the Cavs are going to bounce back. All right. Well, I hope you're right. Where do you want to go from here? Well, we got a lot to talk about in the sense that with three other series have similar sort of stains on them in the injury department. And I'd like to talk about that other Eastern Conference series that could have an even bigger factor in the sense that John Wall, who knows what's going to happen in game three, whether or not he'll even be able to play, whether or not he'll be able to play the rest of the playoffs. I don't think he's been ruled out for the rest of the playoffs, but when I see five non-displaced fractures in wrist and hand, and you're a point guard or a basketball player in general, and you have to dribble and handle the ball, that doesn't sound like a good thing to me. I am extremely mad at this because I think the Wizards would have destroyed the Hawks with him healthy. Now, unfortunately, the vastly overrated and undeserving of a Final Four spot, Atlanta is going to sneak into the Eastern Conference Finals probably, if John Wall can't play. Yeah, without the without John Wall, Wizards stand absolutely no chance. I mean, Ramon Sessions is a good backup, but he's not John Wall. Uh, it, it's really sad that that is what it's coming down to. But yeah, like you said, multiple fractures in that hand. I can't possibly imagine, even if he does play, that he has much of a shot or even much of a handle on the ball. Like he, I, I don't see it happening. So if he's out, even for this next game, I think that gives a serious advantage to the Atlanta Hawks. So, yeah, I I don't think the Wizards stand much of a chance. They might win one more game just because they're, they're, they'll play at home with Bradley Beal. He could light it up, and Paul Pierce isn't, isn't known to throw in the towel. But without John Wall, the Hawks are, have a pretty easy path to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and I, it stinks because I don't like Atlanta. I don't think they're a good team. And honestly, I think that if John Wall isn't healthy – Whoever wins Cleveland and Chicago is just going to destroy that team in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, the two best teams are playing right now, and it's Cleveland and Chicago. Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean there's no way John Hall is, Wall is 100% even if he plays. So I think with John Wall playing on one hand, there's just no way that the Wizards can win the Eastern East. And I don't think Atlanta is going to put up much of a fight against Cleveland or Chicago because I don't think they're that good. I think the winner of Cleveland-Chicago is just going to waltz into the NBA Finals, and we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. But I'm actually, you know what? Because I picked the Wizards in six, I'm just going to stand by the prediction, because I, I don't like to change picks when the series started. So I, I definitely think Atlanta is probably going to win, but I'm going to stand by my pick and, and hope that the Wizards can pull it out without John Wall and at least beat Atlanta and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Because, you know, I, I, I do feel bad for them. I feel really bad that John Wall had this injury at the point that he did. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, that would be really impressive and a great story to see if, if Washington, Washington can pull it out. I think the theme of this episode for me is, man, I'm flip-flopping. <laughs> I'm, I'm changing my vote on just about every team. I, Atlanta, they're, they're going to beat the Wizards without John Wall. They're not that, they're not that bad that they can't beat John, uh, John Wall-less Wizards. They're, I mean, they're still a talented team. They, they, they have it in them to beat the Wizards without John Wall. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly they do. I mean, and certainly I think that they're they're probably going to win the series. I'm just defending my pick. That's the only thing. I don't. I made the pick. I have to live with the results of it. If the Wizards lose, it doesn't change the fact that I picked them before the series. So I'm just kind of hopeful that the Wizards can pull it out, and and I'm still going to stand by them from that standpoint. Yeah, and I I also picked the Wizards just because I'm changing my mind. My original pick, the Wizards. If the Wizards lose, I lose. I'm not. I'm not taking credit for picking Atlanta once John Wall goes down. I'm just saying today, May 9th, the, the Hawks are the favorite to win that series. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, one series that had some good news from an injury standpoint is Memphis-Golden State. Going into this series, when we broke it down, we said the Grizzlies have absolutely no chance if Mike Conley is not playing. And Game 1 proved that Without Mike Conley, the Memphis Grizzlies don't have much of a chance. 101 to 86 win for the Warriors. Steph Curry, 22 points. Klay Thompson, 18 points. Very efficient. Curry was 8 of 18 from the field. Thompson, 8 of 16 from the field. 4 of 8 from 3 for Curry. 2 of 5 from 3 for Thompson. 7 assists for Curry. 6 assists for Thompson. And 4 turnovers each. Mike Conley plays in Game 2. You would think Steph Curry would be amped up because he just got the MVP award. We'll talk about that in a bit. Game two, Steph Curry, 19 points. 7 of 19 from the field, so not as efficient. And 2 of 11 from threes. Three turnovers, six assists, not too bad, but Mike Conley was back. Clay Thompson, 13 points. 6 of 15 from the field and 1 of 6 from three. Only two assists for him and five turnovers. So you could see that perimeter defense of Conley and, goodness, Tony Allen really stepped up in combination because now Tony Allen doesn't have to guard one or the other. Conley can take some pressure off of him. Very strong performance, and obviously Game 2 was a Grizzlies 67, 97 excuse me, to 90 victory in Golden State. They get the split. You've been prepping, you've been hyping up Mike Conley all year long. Obviously, with him in this series, changes everything. Definitely. I mean, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and you can't say it enough what a difference Conley made by not playing and then by playing I mean 22 points as well from Conley it wasn't just his defense it was his offense he initiates that offense and runs and plays the pick and roll with Randolph and Gasol because as good as Tony Allen is as a perimeter defender he is a terrible offensive threat so it's all between Conley Randolph and Gasol on the offensive side the Grizzlies have the Warriors right where they want him man 1-1 they split away in, 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 in San Francisco. Now they're going back to the grindhouse, which I think is one of the most underrated places to play in all the NBA. They go crazy. They're really loud. They have a really good home field advantage. It's, it's going to be a battle for these Warriors. It's not going to be a pretty game as pretty as basketball can be with the Golden State Warriors. The Grizzlies are gritty and, and play a really ugly form of basketball, and they're going to beat those guys up if the Warriors do win, they're not going to come out, you know, without any bruises. 
Oh, certainly not. And I do agree with you that Memphis has been underrated all year, even by me. I've underrated them as well. I did say when I picked the Warriors in five that if Mike Conley had played, I would have taken the Warriors in seven. I think that if Conley's going to play the rest of this series, it's going to probably go seven games. I'm still going to lean towards Golden State because I think that that team has the ability to really light it up from three. And if the three-point shots are falling, it's exceptionally hard to defend. So I do think that they're going to go into Memphis and split. And I think it'll come down to a Game 7 if Conley is healthy, if he doesn't have any other setbacks. And with the Game 7, you generally pick the home team. Golden State has the home floor. It'll be an intense one. But, but now, with Conley back, this at least becomes a lot more intriguing than it would have been with him down. Yeah, absolutely. I think this... You know, Cavs Bulls is intriguing, but it's a frustrating matchup to watch. I think Grizzlies Warriors is the best matchup of these four matchups that we have, and that's because Mike Conley's back. You're absolutely right. I still think the Warriors could are going to win it in seven, but the the Grizzlies they have they they they're back, and and it's going to be a challenge for for these Warriors. Yeah, and, and when we previewed this, we said that Mike Conley not playing possibly ruins the best matchup of the playoffs. Tony Allen, Mike Conley versus the Splash Brothers. That's an amazing perimeter matchup. And also in the post, too. I mean, the Warriors have a really good defense. Everyone everyone kind of looks at them as this offensive team, but they had a top-two defense this year, too. They have some post guys who can kind of bump bump with uh, Gasol and Randolph. So it's, it's just a very – these two teams have very – they're more. They're a lot more similar than people give them credit for. The only difference is Memphis will like to slow it down and run it through the front court, whereas Golden State's going to want to get up and run it through their back court. But they still match up really well with one another. Memphis's back court's really underrated, and Golden State's front court is really underrated. So it's a very intriguing matchup. The, the series with both these teams at full strength is is going to be very fun to watch. So I th- I hope people will tune in and enjoy it because it's going to be a fun one yeah my favorite moment from the playoffs this round was when uh the in game two for that matchup tony allen stole the ball and did a fast break by himself and dunked the ball and as he was dunking he yelled first team all defense (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) but if you guys haven't picked up the theme of this podcast yet injuries are playing a huge factor in the NBA playoffs. We thought that without Chris Paul, the Clippers would be in trouble. They're up 2-1, and they won game one without Chris Paul. So no Chris Paul, no problem so far. He did come back in game three and had a a solid game. Maybe not a Chris Paul game, but he scored 12 with seven assists. And the Clippers now lead 2-1. Bob, what, what about these Clippers, man? I mean, they, they seem like they're turning into the team of destiny. Yeah, absolutely. They certainly are turning into the team that's going to beat the Rockets. I don't, the Rockets, I mean, Chris Paul doesn't play and you lay that huge goose egg and put yourself in a hole. I mean, that that's inexcusable for a team that has championship aspirations. So yeah, the Clippers, the Clippers are rolling. I mean, Chris Paul, dare I say, he wasn't even the best point guard playing on the Clippers last night it was Austin Rivers with 10 of 13 shooting and 25 points I mean when Austin Rivers is balling out against the Rockets you know you're in trouble and JJ Redick also 31 points I mean 
really you let JJ Redick and Austin Rivers beat you and you're trying to to win a championship that's just inexcusable it's one thing if Chris Paul and Blake Griffin go off on you and and beat you but when those role players start start tearing you up you know you're in trouble certainly and let's also give Blake Griffin some credit for stepping up in a huge way in game one with a massive triple double oh, so yeah. I mean, Griffin really has stepped his game up over the last two seasons, and we've talked about this before, how you know, prior to the 2013-14 season, I wasn't sure if he was a legitimate top 20 player. He is certainly that now and trending way up. I mean, he has just taken his game to another level last year, even further this year, and now in the playoffs, he has really been, he's carried them because Chris Paul's been hobbled. He was hobbled in that game seven, and and he didn't play in that game one. They go on the road. They knock out the Spurs. Griffin had to play big. They steal the game one from Houston. Griffin had to play big. He has really stepped up and become this, I mean, he was always a beast, but now he's a elite beast and I think that he is certainly worthy of consideration as a top 10 NBA player right now I mean you can't you can't deny what he has been doing in the postseason and if he's clicking on all cylinders with Paul hopefully getting healthy because they have yeah with Paul hopefully getting healthy and DeAndre Jordan there the Clippers are turning into a team that could be peaking at the right time absolutely Blake Griffin deserves all the credit of the success of this team as good as Chris Paul is he's Chris Paul's undoubtedly the leader just because he's the point guard but I think Griffin finally is leading this team with his insane numbers and he's finally out of his head I mean the one of the biggest knocks was just how big of a head case he was how he always would seem to to fold in in the most tense moments and now he's just he's playing out of his mind and if he keeps that up if that if this isn't a fluke which i clearly i don't think it is it's going on for a while now the clippers are are the team to beat in the west yeah i'm really regretting failing on my preseason western conference champion because i took the rockets because i wasn't sure about chris paul and i thought the rockets had made some moves to make them a better team still not over yet let's not yeah. forget that they could come back and get game four. Let's not rule out the Rockets just yet. And I still think this game's probably going to go seven. This series is probably going to go seven. Possibly, but what's with the Rockets? I mean, it, I understand you were playing on the road last night against the Clippers, but it's still inexcusable to lose by 25 in, in a playoff matchup. And then that, that game one dud, I mean, what's wrong with them? Well, all year the knock on them has been defense. You know, they have not, James Harden is not a good perimeter defender, even though he's improved. And, you know, other than Dwight Howard, they don't have a guy who is really a strong defender. They got to outscore you. They are a legitimate, you know, running gun team that doesn't play much D, unlike the Warriors who can run and gun, but they still have a legitimate defenders. I think that's their problem right there in a nutshell. I mean, you, you know, you saw it. They lost by 25 points. They gave up over, I think, 120 points last night. Yeah, that right there is their problem. And if they don't at least shore it up to be acceptable and get their offense going a little bit, they're not going to advance. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. That... Hey, here's here's the one thing. NBA, it is inexcusable that Thursday had no playoff games. What is up with that? 
Yeah, I was I was surprised. I, I I got out my app to see what games were on that night, and there was there was nothing there. It didn't really make sense. You have two series going on one schedule and the other on the other. Why why aren't you just alternating days? I mean, it, it makes no sense. Yeah, one set of series gets an extra day off, and the Cavs Bulls day and the Clippers Rockets day doesn't. They play every other day. I, I don't get it. I mean, one guy said it was to line it up for the weekend, but it didn't change anything. The series would have fallen right into place. It would have just been game four today instead of game three. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. But anyway, we alluded to it earlier that Steph Curry won the MVP. Obviously very well-deserving, best player on the best team. Bob and I have talked about the MVP a lot on this podcast. And when we first talked about it, we kind of both agreed that Steph Curry was the favorite despite a lot of other strong performances by Anthony Davis, James Harden, LeBron James, and Russell Westbrook, and I throw in Chris Paul as well. I don't really disagree with Curry winning. I can understand people arguing for someone else, but you know, Curry led, led his team to 67 wins and also had the numbers to go toe-to-toe with any of those other guys. I think that was the winning combination. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's the he's the best player on the best team this year. It's really hard to argue against that, especially when his numbers are completely comparable to all the other competition. If if Anthony Davis was on the two seed and had that year, maybe he would have had a, had a chance. But the fact that he it took him the last game of the season to get in the playoffs, I think, ruined his chances. It, it was Steph Curry all the way. From wire to wire, Steph Curry was was the MVP of the se- of the season. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we we first talked about the MVP back in February. I think it was right before the All Star break. It was when uh, LeBron James and James Harden, Houston and Cleveland, had that great overtime game. We kind of debated whether or not they played their way back into the MVP race, and and I think we both agreed that not really because they were both chasing Steph Curry, and Steph Curry had you know. Phenomenal year for him and Golden State, and certainly deserving of the award. It, it was tough, honestly, because I, I could see the arguments for Harden. I could see the arguments for Anthony Davis, too. But it's hard to argue against a guy who led his team to 67 wins. That's a huge number yeah. and had a great season to boot as well. So I, I have no problems with it. Yeah, me neither. What about, I, I, this is off topic, but what about Bob Myers, executive of the year for Golden State? Don't get me started on that one. All right. Oh my gosh, that 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 was terrible. I'm sorry. You know that was a lifetime achievement award. Uh, he hired Steve Kerr. That was their big move. Griffin with the Cavs. He made he reshaped the roster on a fly on the fly. You got to give him credit for trading for Kevin Love. I'm sorry. He took a team that was picking number one in the draft, reshaped the entire roster and got them the number two in the East and the odds-on favorite to win the championship heading into the tournament. He got robbed. I'm sorry. Golden State, fine, whatever. But they had a great season. But I don't. I think it was more coaching in Steph Curry than it was the personnel moves that they made in the offseason. Yeah. I mean, the, the one argument is the move that he did not make, trading Clay Thompson for Kevin Love, which I don't see why you can reward somebody for not making a trade that was just speculation I mean there's not even you don't even know how close they were to pulling the trigger on that I think that top three ballot was was interesting is Myers 
Griffin and then wasn't Budenholzer the the coach from Atlanta I think he was number three which was strange in, uh, as well I mean a coach for executive of the year it was, it was very strange well isn't Danny Ferry I think isn't he suspended in Atlanta or something like that he's on an uh, indefinite I don't know that situation. yeah so I, I don't know what's up there but the weird thing is you can't give someone credit for not making a move. I'm sorry. You just can't do that, especially when your number two guy made the move and it had a drastic impact on his team. So, yeah, I, I don't, I didn't like that. That's the one award that I really was disappointed in. I actually thought Houston's Daryl Mosley had a better case than uh, Golden State. The moves they made in season to adjust that roster on the fly were, were tremendous as well. Oh, yeah. Maury, Daryl Maury. Maury, excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I knew I knew you had a strong opinion. I just wanted to to get that. Did, did I say Mosley? I think I said Mosley. Yeah, you said Mosley. That's a different guy. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, so that's enough NBA for this podcast. We're gonna change gears, and please don't roll your eyes when we tell you what we're talking about. But we we have to talk about Deflate Gate and the NFL, and just for a heads up. We we did two trial episodes of What Are You Talking About that we never published onto iTunes back in, I don't know, late January, early February. So naturally, we were talking a lot of NFL playoffs in those trial runs, and naturally, we, we had a whole segment on Deflategate for about 20 or 30 minutes. It never got published, but since this topic is rearing its head back and we're about to discuss it live, uh, Chris and I thought it would be relevant to post that that segment onto our blog and onto iTunes. So after this episode gets posted, I'm going to go back and edit the 20 minute segment that we talked about Deflategate back when it happened after the AFC championship game and throw that onto iTunes. So you'll see a little bonus B cut is I think is what we're going to call it up there on the blog and iTunes. And if you're interested in hearing what we have to say about Deflategate at in the moment of the scandal coming out, definitely take a listen to that. But it's back. <laughs> the report is out. Chris, what did you think about it? Well, first, I think it's it has to be mentioned that I'm a New England Patriots fan. I can't talk about this without disclosing that. I don't think it's fair to offer an opinion on it without letting everyone know that I do cheer for the New England Patriots, and I have been a fan since the uh, mid-'90s when I lost to Cleveland Browns. I couldn't cheer for a division rival, didn't want to cheer for the Steelers, so I picked the Patriots for we'll get into all those reasons probably later but I just need to make it clear that I am a New England fan so take that for what it's worth I think it's I didn't read I think what was <laughs> I mean this is a very clear cut line though it's either you're a New England Patriots fan or you hate the New England Patriots I think that has to be said there's no really like nobody's really neutral about about this team yeah, I mean, I'm just going to start off with, with something I kind of wrote up. I mean, in the end, I don't think any of this is going to matter. I mean, you said it perfectly. If you hate the Patriots and Tom Brady for winning, you're going to keep on doing it, and this is just going to be another reason to justify being bitter and jealous of the Patriots winning. All the haters can't take away what happened. You can't vacate history. You can't change the memories that I and other New England fans experienced winning four Super Bowls and playing in two mores. Invisible asterisks don't mean anything to fans. It's, and I don't think it's anywhere near as serious as what happened in baseball, and that sport didn't even have the guts to strike their records or punish anyone. So in the grand scheme of things, I do think Tom Brady's going to get suspended. It's looking like that. I would disagree with it, but you know there is – I mean, I'm not saying the report is wrong. I just don't necessarily think it was the fairest investigation 
uh, put forth by the NFL. But even if he gets suspended, it's not going to change anything. If you don't like the Patriots, you're going to nitpick at every little thing they accomplish because they're winning. And if you're a Patriots fan, it's not going to phase you because you experienced four Super Bowls. The NFL cannot rewrite history. The, they can say the Seattle, they could, even if they vacate the Super Bowl and say the Seattle Seahawks are champions, it's not going to matter. The game happened. Everyone saw it. Hundreds of millions of people saw the Patriots beat the Seattle Seahawks. You can't change it. And so I... You know, I, I don't think that any of this is really, in the grand scheme of things, going to matter. I don't think it'll matter as well. I mean, for crying out loud, Alex Rodriguez is getting cheered in, in New York right now for hitting these home runs. You know, Two years ago, he was a huge villain, but you hit home runs, you, you win games, you win championships. People forget about the, the nasty things that happen as well. I don't... I think the big thing for me is the report is pretty circumstantial when it comes to implicating Tom Brady, but he stood up after it was a fact that those ball, those footballs were deflated against the Colts and he pretty much, he, he strongly denied it. And the new England organization not only denied it, but you know, Robert Kraft accused the NFL of, of, of singling them out of attacking them. I think that is where the suspension is going to come from. Not only did you do, you, did you break the rules, which I don't think have a huge impact on the game of, in and of itself, but you broke the rules to gain an unfair advantage against the opponent. That's considered cheating. It's silly cheating, but it's still cheating. I don't think that's the big deal because, you know, it's an unwritten rule that everybody does this to these game balls. It's the fact that you, you, you lied and then you, weren't complicit in the investigation afterwards and that's where the punishment's going to come down and that's where the punishment's really going to come from if it came from oh you deflated these footballs you're going to get in trouble I think it would be a lot less worse maybe like a one or two game suspension but the NFL now you angered the organization and they're going to they're going to lay the hammer down on you yeah I do think that um well, that's why the that's what the NFL will use to justify it. But I also don't think the investigation was particularly the fairest one in the world. First off, I don't think more probable than not is a any sort of conclusive guilt proof. Whatever the NFL standard is, I know it's legalese for the NFL's standard of proof, but to me, it's a very low standard of proof. And I don't think the report directly connects Tom Brady to the scene. Okay, fine. His two, the two equipment guys texted about Tom Brady. Well, the New York Times in 2013 ran a huge feature about how the staff of the New York Giants take months to meticulously groom and prepare 12 to 20 footballs for Eli Manning. And in practice, he has 36 set aside just for him. Only Eli Manning can have any contact with those footballs. Well, what that means is Eli Manning has a very large amount of contact with the equipment guys to get those footballs just right for game day. Nothing in those texts proves to me that Tom Brady was deliberately telling those guys to cheat. He was; Those guys were talking about him, obviously, talking about Tom. One even called himself the deflator, which probably didn't help their cause in the investigation. <laughs> but the point I'm making here is where in those texts did it prove that Tom Brady cheated? 
He and his guys were talking about him, obviously. His guys were preparing in footballs for his game, obviously. But I didn't I read those texts. Does it look malicious? Okay, he signed some autographs for them. I'm willing to bet most guys, bosses, quarterbacks, whatever, hook their equipment guys up with some autograph gear. Willing to take a bet on that. I'll take a bet on that. I, I just don't see it. I don't see how Brady is definitely guilty. Well, I don't think he is definitely guilty. I do think, though, when you get on the podium after the game and say you have absolutely no idea about like the inflation of these balls, that's absolutely a lie. Like Your your Eli Manning story is, is fact that these dudes obsess over the inflation of the balls, you know, and... It's not about it's not really about guilty. I mean, I think even the argument the argument if you put it in the court of law, you would be arguing about circumstantial guilt. And I think the evidence is pretty thin to get actual guilty conviction, but we're in the court of public opinion if after all this drama with the report with what happened against the Colts, if nothing happens, the the fans and the court of public opinion is just going to destroy Roger Goodell and the NFL. They have to do something because it's pretty obvious that maybe he did not sign off and explicitly say deflate these balls to this amount of PSI for the game. He definitely knew that it was going on and had a preference and allowed it to happen and then did not come clean when asked about it and when investigated by it. He was not compliant with this investigation and I think that is where the suspension is going to come from. Yeah, the only other thing I'll say is there was an observation noted by uh, Mike Reese, who is a very notable uh, New England Patriots beat writer. Oh, no, it was excuse me, this wasn't Reese. This was just, uh, I think it was Pro Football Talk who noted this. Excuse me, it was Pro Football Talk. And they, they released the actual PSI test results at halftime. For those of you who don't know, two officials tested the, ha- the, the footballs at halftime. One ran a test, and then the other ran a test immediately after. All 11 footballs from the second test were lower than the first. What that tells me is that it is more probable than not that the act of administering the test could naturally lower the inflation level of the footballs. I want to know what... I just want to know more about the test. To tell you the truth, and if that is actually a legitimate argument, I don't. I don't believe the investigation touched upon that element. They just showed the test results. I just, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that if two officials, within a few minutes of each other, run the same test. Well, you have to, to get. I mean, you do have to consider you have fifteen minutes of a halftime, or is it thirty minutes? And. They're just using a gauge, you know, so they're just taking readings and they have, I think they didn't even have time to get to all the, all the game balls. They only had time to measure four of the Colts game balls compared to 11 of the New England Patriots game balls. So I, I think in the moment, in that moment, they're not, you can't take that as there's a lot of room for error is what I'm trying to say. I mean, they're just using probably just a little gauge that, you know, you use to fill up your bike. I don't think. I don't think you can take the numbers for exactly what they are, except for the fact that they were significantly significantly lower than 
what was sanctioned by the NFL and they were clearly deflated in some manner, the level to which is debatable because the room for error in the measurements that happened, but they were clearly deflated. Yeah. But my point is if, if you're running the same test twice, you should get the same results. I mean, I don't care what gauge you're using. If you're running the same test on the same footballs within minutes of one another, you should get the same results or at least close to the same results. I mean, every single football on the second test was lower, even lower than the first. And, and, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I just, there are a lot of things about the investigation that irked me. It just feels like they wanted to sort of prove one outcome. I don't necessarily think that the coverage of this and that the investigation of this went in with the presumption that the Patriots were innocent. I think everyone, when it came out, immediately thought they were guilty, including the NFL, and they just wanted to find something that would allow them to punish them so they could feed the court of public opinion, as you said. Those are just my theories. And, and again, I'm a New England Patriots fan. You can take my opinions for what they're worth. I'm not trying to hide about the fact, but I, I'm being perfectly honest here. I, I think that what it all comes down to is where you wind up on this issue is, do you cheer for the Patriots or do you hate the Patriots? If you hate the Patriots, you're obviously going to think they're cheaters. If you cheer for the Patriots, you're really not going to care. And that's what it comes down to it for me. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as what happened in baseball with performance enhancing drug, drugs. I don't think it's anywhere close to that level. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it, you're definitely right. The The act in and of itself happens to all 32 teams and has very little effect on the performance of the game you know you made the ped reference to to baseball and i'm getting back to the issue of admittance of guilt that mark mcguire admitted that he did some steroids in baseball he's a he's a successful mlb hitting coach now sammy sosa never has admitted doing peds has never come out and said that he did it and he hasn't made a public appearance and i think eight years now like he's just he's just not in baseball if you admit your guilt people will start i mean you that's when you start the rebuilding process if you don't admit your guilt they bring you down hard and it takes a much longer time to start rebuilding that image i think if if brady came out after the colts game and said i like my footballs to be underinflated or I like a lower psi the equipment managers might have taken it too far or or something along that lines where yeah, it happened, but it's not a big deal. I think that he might have still faced a suspension, like one game, but not as harsh as what's going to come down. Let's talk about what do you think the result is going to be. There's reports of a pending suspension that's going to be pretty long. My theory is post-Ray Rice 2014, you come down hard on these guys and you let the NFLPA take it to court and take it to an appeal and get a smaller number. But you come down hard. I think the NFL is going to come down with an eight-game suspension. Obviously, there's going to be appeal, a long battle that's going to get it maybe half to four, which I think is what is deserving of the suspension. I think a four-game suspension is what Brady deserves, but the NFL has to save face, and they're going to go big. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting how long he gets suspended for because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when he is going. Tom Brady is going to get suspended, and the organization is probably going to get more punishments. Let's look at the schedule here real quick. 
Week one, Pittsburgh. It's obviously the big Thursday night showcase game on primetime national television. Well, if you suspend Tom Brady, obviously that doesn't become as alluring. Then look at week six. Say he gets a four-game suspension because there's a bye week in there. His first game back would be against the Indianapolis Colts in prime time. I'm going to be curious to see what the NFL does here. I don't think they're going to do what I'm about to propose. But hypothetically speaking, what if the NFL did a three-game suspension starting week two? Do what the NCAA did in the sense that they said, hey, these five Ohio State players with the tattoos, you're suspended starting next year, but you can play in the Sugar Bowl. They got reamed for that because they were trying to save face on their ratings. I wonder how much pressure the NFL is under on NBC, who has both those primetime games, the Colts and the Steelers, to not suspend Brady for those games. Because you know that that is a part of it. I mean, this is Tom Brady we're talking about. And him not playing the whole year is going, if it is a four year suspension or eight game suspension, is going to be a significant blow to some of these games that they've already penciled in for prime time. Dude, if that happens, man, there's going to be, you know, they're going to storm the NFL headquarters and have Goodell's head on a platter. Like, they might as well just sit, suspend Brady for a half if that's what's going to be. Like, you, you just need to suspend the guy. I, don't, I mean, if you're worrying about ratings, you're the NFL. It could, you and I could be in Patriots uniforms playing quarterback, and everybody's going to watch. Like, you don't have to worry about Tom Brady playing or not. I mean, if that happens, that that'll be absolutely ridiculous, and I would, I would be shocked if that actually happens. I think that the NFL learned their lesson in how strong public opinion can be from the last year. This is their first big challenge of 2015. They need to come down hard. And let the NFLPA figure out the actual length of suspension. But Goodell and the NFL need to come down hard and show not just the fans, but all the 31 other teams that all 31 other teams hate the Patriots. And they, they are looking at this closely and looking at just how much power the Patriots and Bob Kraft have in this situation. They need to come down hard and, and save some face. If they, if, if they do a three-game suspension, like you say, that'd be ridiculous. They do anything under them under four that would be ridiculous because whatever suspension happens, Brady's going to appeal and chances are it's going to get reduced in some fashion. So if you do a two game suspension, now you're just talking one game and that that's a little low, I think. So man, that would be, that'd be really ridiculous. If it's a three game suspension week two, three and five. Yeah, no, I would be, I would be really shocked if that happened. See, I wouldn't be shocked if it happens. I don't, necessarily think it's going to happen because if the NFL tries to protect that week one game but and you know that's on their minds because the week one game is the kickoff it's a nationally televised game you know it's on NBC's mind you know they're getting pressure you can't deny that the networks are pressure are going to apply some pressure here but who's going to watch that game who is going to watch that game and isn't going to watch it because Tom Brady isn't playing I don't know I, but it, you know it's on their minds. You can't say it's not on their minds. I'm sure it's on NBC's mind, but if the NFL is listening to that argument, it's going to be another rough year for the NFL. See, I, I'm also not as convinced as you that they quote-unquote learned their lesson. I, I just think that 
when you're the king and the NFL is king, they, you know, they take their lumpings in the court of public opinion. But do they really care that much? Because a lot of their actions speak otherwise. You know, they keep doing the same things. They keep falling in the same traps. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what the suspension is. Because I think that's going to tell a lot about how the NFL views this situation and what kind of pressure they're under. I don't think they're going to skip over week one. I'm not as convinced that the suspension is going to affect the season. I don't think that they're going to give him an eight-game suspension. I think it's ultimately at most going to be four. Because I don't think the NFL has what it takes to stand up and suspend one of their marquee stars for longer than four games. I hope I hope they do because, like I said, there thirty one other teams want a long suspension for this guy. And if you stand in in the Patriots' corner, I think you're gonna have a lot of enemies in the NFL after this. So it's gonna be really interesting what happens. They're in quite a situation. I wonder if he suspends Brady for eight games if he's gonna get invited to Bob Kraft's party next year. <laughs> well. We'll see about that. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of angles on this thing. I mean, it, it, it's certainly going to be – it's a tough situation for the NFL as far as I'm concerned because I don't think there's any way the NFL can win. I do agree with you. I'd rather make an enemy out of one NFL team instead of 31. But at the same time, you know, Tom Brady does affect their bottom line, and there's no denying that. And there are always other factors at play. When dishing out these suspensions, you know, the Ben Roethlisberger case, what he was accused of is far worse than this, and he only got six games reduced to four. So, you know, we're, I don't I don't like comparing issues because I think that they're sort of apples to oranges. But, you know, using that as a baseline, Ben Roethlisberger, obviously a very prominent figure in the league, a quarterback, and he did not get a very hard suspension for what he was accused of. The whole, you know, allegations of rape, multiple allegations of rape and, and whatnot. So that was also, I mean, that was also a long time ago. You're, yeah, it wasn't a whole that different... long ago. It wasn't that long ago. I believe it was the, the Super Bowl they lost to Green Bay. It wasn't as long as you think. Mm. I mean, that's only about five years. I think it was, it, was long, it was before that Super Bowl. I think it it was certainly after when they hammered, uh, you know, Pac-Man Jones and Chris Henry and all them. Look, these years run together after a while. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that once once you get into that five-year range, they start to run together. Now, I'm pretty good with who played in the Super Bowl, but but you know the details sometimes get a little fuzzy. So you know, I, I'll I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure it was the same year that they got to the Super Bowl and lost to Green Bay. Okay, I I I'll. I also think that that wasn't that suspension also because of his motorcycle stuff. Like, I think the actual suspension wasn't even for the domestic violence stuff. I look. I didn't research the Ben Roethlisberger thing. I was just trying to bring up an analogy, so have to. I'd have to check the details on that. I'll be the first to admit I have to. I'd have to refresh myself on the details. Okay. But anyway, it's certainly going to be an interesting time in the NFL with this suspension. I, I do, I'm not saying that the NFL is going to pull off that thing. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole TV thing comes into place, but I certainly agree with you that it's not the time to do stuff like that. And you do have to suspend someone, you know, you have to stand up for the game in situations like this. And certainly they have to at least give them a four game suspension. So I do think that it will be at least four games. 
I, I'd be hesitant to say more than that because I'm just not convinced the NFL is going to go that hard on a, on a prominent figure like Tom Brady. But to end with some NFL news, some more unfortunate NFL news, number three overall pick, Dante Fowler of Jacksonville, tore his ACL on the first day of training camp and will miss his entire rookie year after playing every game for the last three years with Florida. Bob, this sounds like something that would happen to the Browns. It does, but to be honest with you, it sounds something that would happen to the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. They've picked in the top 10 every year since 2008, and they only have their last three selections on the on the roster as it stands. Uh, they just have terrible history of picking first-round selections, and this this is another one. I mean, it, there's no, I mean, Dante Fowler seemed like a, a really good player, but he tears his ACL. You have to consider him a bust already. Fortunately for him, he gets a $20 million guarantee salary that he even has yet to sign, but he gets that money coming. It's guaranteed because he, he was locked in at the number three pick. Well, let's not run him off as a bust just yet. Let's see if he can come back from the ACL. Obviously, it's a huge unfortunate setback. You never want to see this happen to a guy. But, you know, it's not as uncommon as you think. Maybe not with the number three overall, but rookies do get hurt in training camp all the time. And sometimes we'll never see the field. Obviously, it's in the later rounds, guys, that people don't hear about as often. But this is exceptionally unfortunate. I mean, he just had probably had the week of his life being selected number three overall. And to have his NFL dream snapped uh, so short, maybe, uh, is, is certainly unfortunate. So, you know, definitely wish him all the best. And hopefully he can get it back on the field in 2016. Certainly. Certainly. I hope he does come back. All righty, Bob. Well, we jam-packed this podcast with a lot of stuff. Uh, obviously, chatting to Flategate and the NBA. And we'll be back next week with some more sports talk, more NBA playoffs. And maybe we'll find out what happens with Tom Brady by the time we record our next podcast. Please don't forget to support us on Twitter, FenleyRD Sports, or Instagram, FenleyROAD Sports. Please come back to the website. We'll roll out some more blogs this week. Always have some more content for you, and we, of course, appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to What Are You Talking About, presented by Finley Road Sports. And we'll be back once again next week with another jam-packed episode of Great Sports Talk. Definitely. I'll talk to you soon, Chris. All right, man. Take it easy, Bob.